0: Welcome to Smarten Up, the show where we demystify the complex world of tax and provide practical business insights. I'm your host, Sally Preston. As a business owner, I know how frustrating it can be when it seems hard to access understandable information, particularly when the topic is as complex as the tax law. So in this podcast, we will explore topics To help you make smarter decisions when it comes to your business taxes, which will ultimately benefit your bottom line. Whether you are starting up in business or have been in business for years, this podcast aims to become an essential part of your financial toolkit. Welcome to Smarten Up, the Tax and Business Podcast. My name is Sally Preston, and I will be your host. In this episode, we wanted to talk to you about trusts. Now, we spoke briefly about trusts in our episode on structuring your business. But in this episode, we wanted to provide further information on the ins and outs of trusts and what you as a business owner and potentially as an appointor or a trustee of a trust need to know about how they work. So we won't be covering details of tax information and the tax law. We just wanted to help on the basic operation and how they may be used in your business group. So what is a trust? Well, a trust is a relationship or an obligation imposed on a person or other entity to hold property for the benefit of another person or entity. So we call the person that holds the property the trustee and the person that they're holding it for the benefit of the beneficiaries. Now, the reason I refer to it as an obligation is because a trustee is bound by the terms of the trust not to use a trust property for their own benefit, but rather for the benefit of the beneficiaries. So, sometimes there's more than one trustee. Often, there are many beneficiaries. Now, for legal purposes, a trust is a relationship, not a legal entity. So, it's the trustee that legally owns any of the assets of the trust. For tax purposes, though, Trusts are treated as a taxpayer for the purposes of tax administration. Now, there are many types of trusts. The type of trust you may have in your business group can be determined by looking at the characteristics of the trust. Now, I'm going to talk about two key types of trusts. So one is a discretionary trust. A discretionary trust, the beneficiaries of the trust are often various and they're listed and sometimes surrounding a family group. Now, the person or the beneficiaries that receive the trust distribution each year is determined by the trustee at the end of the year and can vary each year. So, the trustee has the ability to determine who gets what distributions each year, which makes it quite flexible, but they still need to be included in the classes of beneficiaries of the trust. So, we'll talk also about a fixed trust, which you might have heard of a unit trust. So the difference is that for a unit trust, the people that hold the fixed entitlement or the units have just that. Generally, they have a fixed entitlement to the income and or the capital of the trust. And that's set out in accordance with their entitlements under the trust deed or under their unit certificate that they might get when they buy units. So who gets the distributions each year is already predetermined, but there might be some flexibility that the different classes of income can go to the different unit holders. So you really still need to read the deed. But generally, if you hold 20% of a trust as a unit holder, you'd be entitled to 20% of the profits of that trust or the capital distribution from that trust this year in a very simple way. Whereas if you are a beneficiary under a discretionary trust, you don't have a fixed entitlement and it's really up to the trustee to determine what you may or may not get that year, if anything. So, the key elements, we've mentioned a few terms, the key things that you would want to understand when we're talking about trusts. So, let's talk about control and who actually controls the trust. Now, a trust is controlled by the trustee and by an appointor for a discretionary trust. So, the trustee manages the day-to-day operations of the trust, but the appointor has the ability to remove the trustee. Now, if that was a unit trust you might not have an appointor. Instead, the unit holders likely have the ability to remove the trustee. But the trustee isn't the ultimate controller of a trust. There is a party that doesn't make the day-to-day decisions but has the ability to remove and put a different trustee in place. So, that's important to understand. So, the trustee the trustee is the legal owner of the property of the trust and is responsible for those day to day operations of the trust. Their duties and powers are specified under a number of things. So, one is the trust deed. The Trustees Act in each state also specifies or can add to those duties and responsibilities. And also, common law, which is case law, can tell a trustee how they're supposed to behave as trustee of a trust. So, if the trustee of a trust is actually a company, then it's necessary to have a look at the identity of the directors and shareholders of that company to determine who needs to make the decisions as trustee each year. Now, we'll go through an appointor. So, an appointor, as we mentioned before, is a named person, there might be more than one, who has the power to remove the trustee and appoint a replacement trustee in a discretionary trust. So, that's another important term to be aware of. We often hear people talk about trustees, but not many people talk about appointors. And if we were going to look at your trust and succession planning for your trust, we would definitely be looking at who has control of that trust by trying to figure out who's the appointor if it's not that clear or if there's been some changes. So the other term that we've used and for you to be aware of is the trust deed. So this is a key document that sets out the terms of the trust. It's needed to make sure the trust actually exists, And it will set out, amongst other things, who the beneficiaries of the trust are, who the trustee is, what the trust property is, what powers a trustee has to deal with the property, what rights the trustee and the beneficiaries have in relation to the trust property and in relation to each other. It'll also say who the appointor is, how income is defined or determined each year, and how distributions of income or capital may be made. Now, a trustee for a discretionary trust will have a bunch of other clauses in it as well. We're not going to go through those today. But basically, if you think about a trustee, it basically gives you the rules of running that trust. So it's important that you understand and that you have a copy of that trustee if you are the trustee and definitely if you're the appointor and that you understand how that trust is supposed to operate. Now, the term we've used is beneficiary. So these are the entities or people who may benefit under the trust. For a fixed trust, like a unit trust, this would be specifically identified. So, but for a discretionary trust, it might list in the deed one or more individuals and generally it'll then identify classes of beneficiaries surrounding those individuals. So, for example, it might specify that I am the main beneficiary of the trust, but they might say that my children, my spouses, my parents, my brothers... Can all benefit under that trust as well as any companies or other trusts to which I'm a beneficiary or I'm the director or shareholder of. So it can be quite a long list of potential beneficiaries under a discretionary trust and they often use a lot of descriptive terms rather than naming every single entity that might be entitled to it. All right so we've given you the key terms we've given you two different types of trusts that we're going to talk about today one being a discretionary trust and the other one being that fixed trust or a unit trust. How do they operate? So let's talk about a discretionary trust and some of the key things you need to understand about your discretionary trust. So all trusts, they flow through entities for tax purposes. So this means that the trust does not pay tax on the income it makes or receives. Instead, it distributes this to the beneficiaries who then pay tax on those amounts. It also means that when income flows through the trust, it keeps the same form or nature in the hands of the beneficiary. So for example, if the trust receives a franked dividend, the beneficiary and the beneficiaries distributed this income, it will be treated similarly in the hands of the beneficiary. So it'll be treated as a frank distribution received. If instead the trust makes a business profit, then when it makes the, distributes the taxable income, It'll be treated as in the same nature, normal taxable income in the hands of the beneficiary. Now, at the end of the year, any intended distribution of the income or profits of the trusts needs to be resolved. And that means it needs to be documented in what we call a trust resolution. So the trust resolution needs to specify who is going to receive the distribution, what they're going to receive. So in some trustees, it allows for separate categorization of items of income, for example, capital gains, frank dividends, separately from other business income or other sources of income. So each beneficiary, if a deed does say this, might be entitled to different classes of income, depending on what the trustee determines at the end of the year. The trustee must also specify in the resolution how much they're going to get. So the deed might say, That I'm going to get the franked distribution, and I'm only going to get 50% of it, but I'm also going to get 25% of the capital gain, and that's the type of detail that a trust resolution might have at year end that needs to be undertaken. Now, that trust resolution may also be required to do things like determine what the income of the trust is. So it is important the trustee and the advisors have a read of the deed to understand what needs to be resolved before the end of the year. Now, it's important to note that failure to make a distribution at the end of the year may mean that the trustee is required to pay tax. So that means the beneficiaries haven't received the distribution and any profits might be taxed to the trustee. So the bad news about that is the trustee will likely pay tax at the top marginal rate, which is currently 45% plus Medicare levy, so 47 cents in the dollar of your profits might be lost if the trustee has to pay tax. Now that might not seem so bad if you're already paying a tax rate of that or the beneficiary would have but if they're not then that's a lot more tax than you might otherwise have paid. So it's super important that at the end of the year the trustee makes a resolution as to who gets the income and capital of the trust. So as a trustee or maybe an appointor you do need to understand your responsibilities. So this does mean having your trust deed explained to you if you read it and it doesn't make any sense and making sure that you understand at least the basics of the way that trust operates and that you only act in accordance with what the deed allows. It's also important that you ensure that all your tax lodgements are made. So that's our discretionary trust. Now our fixed trust, it's not too dissimilar. Some of the key things you need to understand about a fixed trust are that there is a set entitlement. And that means that your entitlement can actually be transferred. So to break that down, so say you have units in a unit trust, depending on what the agreements you've got in place with the other unit holders, you can potentially sell those units or transfer them to somebody else because it is a separate asset that you own, being a fixed entitlement to the interests of the trust. So it doesn't give you a specific entitlement to individual assets. So say the trust owns multiple assets, your 20% unit holding doesn't mean you hold 20% of every asset. It doesn't mean you hold 100% of an asset that's worth 20% of the total. It means that you're entitled to 20% of the global. So you can't call a particular asset, but you will be entitled under the deed to your 20%. Does that make sense? I'm hoping so. If the interest is transferable, what that means is that you can actually sell it or you can actually go and acquire units in a unit trust. Again, there's a whole bunch of agreements that you have to look at before you do that and you do often need trustees permission to do that. Now, a unit trust is the same as a discretionary trust. It is a flow-through entity for tax purposes. So, the same if an income is received by that trust will be distributed at the end of the year by the trustee. Now, the trustee will look at the guidance or the requirements of the trustee, but it still needs to make a resolution and document that. Particularly, the trustee allows that even if you're entitled to 20% of the total income, that you might be, they might have the flexibility of sending different classes of income to different unit holders. So, it is important as a trustee that it is still documented the unit trust resolution. And again, if failure to make a resolution or failure for there to be a default clause that makes 100% distribution to the unit holders will mean the trustee could be liable for that 47 cents in the dollar tax, which could be really expensive to have missed that obligation to make a distribution or to document it. So as a trustee of a unit trust, you have an additional responsibility. So not only do you need to understand your trust deed, and have that explained to you so that you understand what you're required to do. For a fixed trust, you probably also have to keep a register of the unit holders. And the trust deed might actually have a whole bunch of rules about acquiring and selling and transferring the interests in those units or in that entitlement. Now, there might be a separate unit holders agreement as well. And as a trustee, you might be responsible for making sure that that's adhered to. Again, you've still got your tax lodgements. The difference with a unit trust, we mentioned it earlier, is that in a discretionary trust, the ultimate control rests with the appointor. Because remember, the appointor has the ability to remove the trustee and put a different trustee in place. Now, in a unit trust, it won't be an appointor. We expect it's going to be the unit holders that make the decision to replace the trustee. The trustee might be a company, for example, and it will be the unit holders, depending on who they are, that make a decision to remove that trustee and put a new one in place. So it's important that you understand who has that control as the decision maker as to, you know, who the trustee is. All right. So I think I might have confused you a bit, but that's the guts of what you need to understand is making year end distributions, understanding at a high level at least what your trustee says and probably then relying on your advisor to know in good detail what your trustee says, making sure that you understand you've got tax obligations still and making sure that you stay within your rights, obligations, and powers within the trustee. Okay. So what are the advantages? So of a discretionary trust, you probably have heard that it offers significant flexibility over distributions of income and capital. So at the end of the year, the trustee can choose who within all the beneficiaries as defined and included in the classes of beneficiaries gets what. As long as they document it, that's how it's going to work. So subject to the terms of the deed, they may also have control over the different types of income. A lot of modern deeds will have the the ability to break down income into different classes. And the reason is that different classes are treated differently for tax purposes. So capital gains and frank dividends would be two of those classes that might be separately treated or what we'll call ordinary income, like business income of a trust. Now, a discretionary trust has the advantage that it is entitled to 50% Discount on any capital gains. And a trust being in your structure can actually add a layer of asset protection. Because as you've heard, I don't have any fixed entitlement to my trust until the trustee says I'm going to get this amount of income this year. That's the only entitlement I then have. I can't go and call on an asset. So if someone comes after me, I don't actually own anything in that trust. So they can't say, I want all your trust assets. Well, I don't have an entitlement, it's not part of my asset pool. So it does add a layer of asset protection by having a trust owning your assets, whether that be shares in a company or whether that be other assets like property. The disadvantage of a discretionary trust is that they do need to distribute all their income on an annual basis. And it's probably for this reason I don't really like operating businesses in trusts. Once upon a time, a lot of people ran businesses in trusts. But what it means is the ability to reinvest the profits is impossible in a trust unless you're happy to pay tax at the highest marginal rate. So instead is you'd make a distribution and you'd have to lend that money back into the trust to be able to then grow the business if it was in a trust. So it doesn't distribute all its income or suffer that top marginal rate, which makes it almost impossible or disadvantageous to retain any profits. Now, the disadvantage is also that any of the beneficiaries don't have a fixed entitlement and maybe they wanted a fixed entitlement. You don't have one until the trustee tells you you've got one. So there's no entitlement otherwise. It also means that I can't leave an interest in the trust in my will, say for example, to my spouse or kids. I don't actually have a fixed interest to leave anybody. Now, one thing I will say is a discretionary trust is generally very hard for people to understand how it really works. We're giving you the high level, but there's a lot of intricate details in a discretionary trust. That's a big disadvantage to them. Let's go through the unit trust though. The unit trust gets over some of those disadvantages of a discretionary trust by giving you a fixed entitlement to the income and capital. So it means that I can transfer my entitlement under the trust it also means that I can leave it in a will or in my estate. So I can put it there and say, I'm entitled to 20% of this trust and you now receive it under my will. It has the advantage over a company that a trust can still access the 50% discount. So I can have a fixed entitlement plus the trust gets the 50% discount, whereas a company doesn't. And it allows unrelated parties or people that want to keep their ownership separate to do that through holding a fixed interest in the trust. But the disadvantage is that it still needs to distribute all of its income like a discretionary trust or face that highest marginal rate. And it has a specific CGT event to be aware of, which we're not going to talk about today, but it also means it doesn't have that flexibility. So I want to give you a couple of examples before we wrap up this episode. I'm going to give you an example of how a trust might work in your business group. So let's use a discretionary trust that's a shareholder of your trading company. We often recommend this structure for business owners and how they might hold the shares in the company that's running their business. And the reason we'd recommend a discretionary trust be the shareholder is that when dividends are received from the company, there's some flexibility in distributing the profits. And also, if you plan on selling the shares in your company at some stage in the future, the discretionary trust has accessed the 50% general CGT discount on the sale of those shares. So this would work like this. So Ms. White has three children and is a sole partner in her architecture firm. The business turns over $2 million per year, and she's got multiple clients and six employees. The business is operated through a company, and we've called that Biz Architects Proprietary Limited, and Ms. White is the director of the company. The shareholder of the company is White Proprietary Limited as trustee for the White Family Trust, which is a discretionary trust. Ms. White, her children, their spouses, other family members and related entities are all beneficiaries of the discretionary trust. There is a family trust selection in place for tax purposes, which we haven't covered today. Each year, Ms. White receives a salary from the company and at the end of the year, as a director of the company, she decides whether or not to pay a dividend out of the company profits. So on 30 June 2023, Biz Architects declared a fully frank dividend. Now, White Proprietary Limited, which is the legal entity that owns the shares as trustee for the White Family Trust, received the dividend and resolved on 30 June 2023 to distribute 100% of the income of the trust to Ms. White. As 100% of the income was distributed to an eligible beneficiary, the trustee won't be liable to pay tax. The trust will lodge an income tax return, showing the income and expenses of the trust, as well as disclosing that 100% of that income was distributed to the beneficiary being Ms. White. Ms. White will then include the frank distribution she received in her personal income tax return and that will include her including the franking credits and getting the benefit of those franking credits. So that's how a discretionary trust might be a shareholder and what would happen and what you'd need to do if it's a shareholder of your business company. My second example is where we use a unit trust and the reason we're using a unit trust is because in this example, Mr. Black, Ms. White, and Mr. Gray wish to acquire several commercial buildings for long-term renting. Now, given the number of parties being three, and that they wish, may wish to acquire more assets in the future, or maybe one of the parties may wish to sell out, it's recommended they consider investing through a unit trust with a company as the trustee. So, this structure will provide them the following. Each party will have a fixed entitlement to the income and capital distributions of the trust. Should a property be sold, the trust has access to the 50% general discount. If a unit holder wishes to exit from the investment, they're only selling the units in the trust rather than having to sell an interest in each asset of the trust. It could be a lot easier to buy and sell out of the investment portfolio. However, the trust has a disadvantage being that should it make a loss in the year, the unit holders can't use the loss to offset their other sources of income. The losses are effectively trapped in the trust and will wait there until they can be utilised against other profits made by the trust in future years. Now, the income and capital gains made each year by the trust will be distributed to each unit holder following the deed, and that should set out the entitlement they have, and a trust resolution will be made. The unit trust will again lodge a tax return disclosing the income and expenses and gains of the trust and whom got the distributions. The unit holders will then include the trust distributions in their own income tax returns. Now, the two examples I've given you today are very short and they're very simple, but they hopefully give you an idea of how a trust might be used in your business structure. But the reality with that unit trust structure is that the unit holders, the unit trust may actually be each person's discretionary trust. So we've actually got both a unit trust and then three discretionary trusts in the one structure. In this way, Mr. Black, Ms. White and Mr. Gray have the advantages of the discretionary trust giving them the flexibility of the distributions from the units and have fixed entitlement to the assets of the unit trust. So it's getting a bit complicated now. So. But in that example, if we go back to Ms. White, she might use the discretionary trust that holds the shares in her architecture business and she might also hold the units and the unit trust in the same trust. And that means that discretionary trust that she holds, the White Family Trust, will put all the income into the tax return each year and disclose that to the tax office. So hopefully in this episode, you've learned a little bit more about trusts and at a high level, how they work and what some of the key terms that we use when we talk about trusts mean. Hopefully that it's pointing you in the direction that it is a bit tricky and you definitely should be getting some help, particularly as trustee making a trust resolution before the end of each financial year. My name is Sally Preston. This was an episode of Smarten Up, the tax and business podcast, and I look forward to talking to you on the next episode. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Smarten Up, tax and business. I hope you found the information valuable as you navigate your entrepreneurial journey. If you did, please leave us a review and share the podcast with your fellow business owners. Remember... What we've talked about today is not a substitute for getting formal advice from an accountant or lawyer that is more specific to your circumstances. But knowledge is power when it comes to getting your taxes right, and it can also save you a buttload of money too.